Have you ever visited a place that was far more beautiful and incredible than you expected? In this teaching, Pastor Dale is going to take you on a tour of heaven. This message is the fourth in the series, A Timeless Christmas. The message is entitled, Describing the Indescribable, Part Two. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. So grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we finalize, wrap up our last message in this series we've been involved in for December called A Timeless Christmas. And I want to wrap up a message that I started last weekend talking about describing the indescribable. How do we describe the indescribable? As we've been talking about over the Christmas season, we've talked about the fact that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth so that we could go from earth to heaven to give us eternal life. In fact, the scripture says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. And one of the greatest gifts that we have in relationship with Jesus Christ is eternal life, living forever with God. We've been discovering this, taking a look at what heaven is all about, what eternity is all about. We want to continue that theme again this weekend. Maybe you visited a place before uh, with your family or maybe on a vacation and you've gone to this place and it was just absolutely incredible. It went far beyond anything you could describe and you came back and you tried to describe it to someone and finally in frustration you said, well, you just had to be there. Well, that's kind of like heaven is. To try to describe heaven is to actually describe the indescribable. And all we can do is sort of take a snapshot from the Bible and see a bit of what heaven is like. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. Listen to how he describes uh, those things that we have a tough time understanding here on earth and the things that relate to God, His wisdom, and eternity. Know we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would, have not, would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written... What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind can conceive or has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. Notice that phrase there. What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and what no human mind can conceive. These are the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. This really does describe what heaven is all about, the unimaginable unimaginable glory and beauty of heaven. Now, as we talked about last week, we sort of take it, we're starting to take this tour of heaven. I described for you six things that heaven is like and six things that we ought to know about heaven last week in our message together. Now, this weekend, we're going to take a look at six additional things that will help us to see a bit more about this place called heaven and where we're going after we leave this life as believers in Jesus Christ. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and uh, jot down the first point for this weekend. Simply this, heaven is a place, according to the Bible, heaven is a place of unending joy joy and incredible worship, a place of unending joy and incredible worship. Uh, we all love to go, go to places that we enjoy. In fact, maybe you have your favorite places that you go, and you always have a good time. You enjoy yourself when you're there. There's a sense of rejoicing about being there. Well, heaven really is a place of rejoicing, and to rejoice means to keep on rejoicing, to keep on experiencing joy. And heaven is that place of what we would call unending, deep, real joy, the kind of joy that you don't just feel momentarily, but the kind of joy that you engage in on a continual basis, a joy that will never, ever end. 
I love what the psalmist David said about this. As he was thinking about being in the presence of God for eternity and enjoying God's presence, he made this statement in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. In fact, why don't we read this together, everybody, aloud and loudly for all of our campuses and venues. Let's read Psalm 16, verse 11 together. Are you ready? Here we go. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Notice the Bible says that we are filled with joy. Where? In God's presence. We experience eternal pleasures at God's right hand. Of course, it's talking about the presence of God we experience from time to time here on earth and our experiences with God here, but it's also primarily referring to what we're going to experience in heaven. And the actual Hebrew word for joy there, when, when David says, you fill me with joy, interesting Hebrew word. It means you fill me or you surround me with festivities. We might say it this way, heaven is like a big fiesta. It's a place of, if you will, joy and rejoicing. And it describes for us what we will experience forever and ever. Part of the reason that we'll experience this is because we will be engaged in something that's perhaps the most important activity and thing we will ever do. We'll be engaged in the worship of God. And the worship atmosphere of heaven is absolutely incredible as it's described in Scripture. I don't have time this weekend to take you to the book of Revelation and to share with you some of the scenes of heaven and some of the things that happen around the throne of God and the worship that goes on there. But let me simply tell you this. The worship atmosphere of heaven will surpass the most awesome concert, the most awesome worship experience you've ever had in your life, and the good news is that you will be a part, a major part of it. And so realize that heaven is going to be an amazing place of joy and rejoicing. It's going to be an enjoyable place. If you struggle from time to time now with wanting to maintain joy or finding joy, you have something wonderful to look forward to. While we have a certain amount of joy our lives as believers, and it's a wonderful joy that Jesus gives us. There's an eternal joy awaiting us there. Here's the second thing I want you to know about heaven this weekend. Heaven is, second point, heaven is the place of immediate entrance of all children before the age of accountability. The Bible teaches us that heaven is the place of immediate entrance of all children before the age of accountability. Now, I'm going to break all that down for you in just a moment, but I want you to get it down in your notes and be thinking about that with me as we sort of lay the foundation for that. The question arises again, where do all believers go when they die? What happens to you when you breathe your last breath here? Well, as we've been studying over the last several weeks, we realize the Bible teaches us very clearly that a believer in Jesus Christ immediately goes to heaven when they die. You don't wait around for some period of time. You don't go to purgatory. You don't uh, go into a sleep, sleep uh, state. You actually move directly into the presence of God. Just reviewing 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. The Bible says that when we are absent from the body, away from the body, we immediately go into the presence of God. Jesus gave us this assurance also in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father where? In heaven. Notice that again. Jesus said, if you will acknowledge me before others, 
Jesus said, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven, but whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. And so understand that when you die and go to heaven, Jesus is going to vouch for you as a believer in Jesus Christ. If you've acknowledged him on earth, you're welcome into the, into the uh, atmosphere and the environment of heaven. Now, that's for believers when they die. But often I'm asked the question, what about children? What happens when children die? Do children go to heaven? And the answer to that question is absolutely. As soon as a child, a young child, passes from this life by tragedy or disease or whatever it might be, we all know the events that have transpired, and perhaps you've experienced that in your own life and family. I want you to be assured today that little children are welcomed into the arms of the Heavenly Father. Any child that passes from this life to the next life before the age of accountability. Let's talk about that for a moment. What does it mean to be before the age of accountability? Well, accountability really is when a, when a person matures enough, growing up enough to a place where they begin to realize what is right and what is wrong and have a sense of conscience about sin, a sense of awareness of their need for God. And there comes a point in time in a young person's life when they are accountable themselves before God for their moral choices and moral decisions and for their relationship with Him. You might say, well, Pastor, what, what age is that? I don't know. I can't give you a specific age. In the Bible, Jesus was 12 years of age when he went to the, went to the temple and he began to in, inquire about spiritual things. Well, does that mean that the age of 12 is the age of accountability? I, I don't know for sure. See, children mature at different stages. But what we can be sure of is that God is a merciful God, understands the state of a child, the understanding of a child, and for a child to pass away before they come to the place of accountability or awareness of their need for God, the need they have as sinners, the recognition of the need for a Savior, then, of course, they are welcomed in the presence of God. That's true as well for adults of mental impairment or things of that nature that is, have held them back developmentally. God understands and takes that into account. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, David, uh, after his uh, relationship with Bathsheba, his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, there's a child that's conceived and, 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 and the child passes away. And David, in the midst of his mourning, makes this declaration in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? He'd been fasting for the child's life and the child now had passed away. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting, David said? Can I bring him back again? Of course, the answer to that question was no. But notice now what David says. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. David said, I know for sure that one day I'm going to go and be with that child again. I'm going to see him in heaven. And folks, I want to tell you today, if you have a child that has passed on ahead of you and they knew the Lord or they were before the age of accountability, you can have the absolute assurance that one day you will see them again. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14. Jesus said, notice those words, Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I love that. Jesus said, I want to remind you of how much 
I love kids, how much the Heavenly Father loves kids. Let the little children come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God belongs to those like this. So heaven is the place, the immediate place of entrance for a child uh, when they pass from this life to the next life uh, before the age of accountability. The third thing that we understand about heaven from Scripture is that heaven is a holy sanctuary of love and justice. A number of key words there, a holy sanctuary of both love and justice. The first thing I want you to note from that statement is that heaven is a place of absolute moral purity and perfection. There is no sin in heaven. It is a holy sanctuary. No sin, no immorality, no impurity, and a sanctuary, and a sanctuary means a place of safety and protection. Obviously, if you remove evil and sin from an environment, then that environment becomes absolutely safe and protected. The thing that makes our world the world that it is, is uh, and the dangerous world that it, it is, is because evil exists in our world. You remove the evil from our world, and we, we, we have safety and security, but we need now uh, protection, and we deal with issues of safety and security because evil exists in our world. And so when you get to heaven, all evil is removed. There is no sin there. There's no impurity there. There's nothing that is amiss there morally. And because of that, it is an absolute safe place. It is a place where you are protected for all eternity. A lot of people really desire, long for that sense of security and protection and safety. I promise you that's what heaven is all about. Isaiah the the prophet had an encounter with God and saw God in a very real way and was ushered into a sense of the heavenly realm. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see the story, uh, verses 1 through 3. And let me just read for you how uh, Isaiah experienced the presence of God, how he describes God and describes the atmosphere of heaven. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. That is, God was in heaven. As we've talked about before, that's where God is. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Speaking of the the glorious place, the sanctuary of heaven. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Notice the atmosphere of heaven. Notice the description of God and the description of the atmosphere of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah said, I saw something about God and I saw something about and experienced something about the atmosphere where God lives and the word that describes it is holy, 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 holy. Now, the word holy is a word that means to be completely set apart from anything that is common. And so Isaiah was saying, what I experienced there was very uncommon. It's not like anything I've experienced on earth before. See, earth is a very common place. Very common stuff happens. Very evil stuff happens here in our earth. But heaven is a set-apart place where it's uncommon. It is holy and God is holy. In fact, it wasn't just one holy. Isaiah declared three times, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And certainly the atmosphere in which God reigns is holy. In the midst of this holiness of God in heaven, there's also an atmosphere of perfect love and perfect justice. I've touched on this a bit as a part of this series, the idea especially about justice, and I want to bring back together this understanding that, that there is a perfect atmosphere of love in heaven, but also a 
perfect atmosphere of justice. Everything is made right there. Whatever wrongs have been committed against us or wrongs that have happened in the world around us, God, by being the righteous judge, sets all of these things right. He brings about true and righteous justice and judgment. Revelation chapter 21, verse 7, as John the Apostle had this amazing revelation of heaven, he wrote these words, or these are the words recorded, inspired by the Holy Spirit from the pen of the Apostle John, talking about heaven. This is chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 27. Nothing impure will enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That is so precious. When you get to heaven, the Bible says nothing impure will enter there. No one who does what is shameful or deceitful will be able to come through those gates, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And being your name being written in the Lamb's book of life means that you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. You've turned from your sins. You've invited Christ to come into your life. And Jesus has now made you a part of the Beloved. He signed you in to the family book. And you're a part of that book uh, by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, earth, as we know, is marked by sin. It's marked by injustice. But heaven is. Heaven is the eternal refuge. It is the place of safety. There is a sanctuary in heaven from all evil, a place of protection and a place of safety and security. Now the fourth thing I want you to notice about heaven, according to the Bible that we're looking at this weekend, is that heaven is a home place, home place. For the Christian believer, really earth is not our home, heaven is our home. Hebrews 13, 14 for here we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come. The writer of Hebrews says the city, the, the place we live here on earth, it's not the enduring city. It's not the one that's going to last forever, wherever city you live in. Whether it be Gaithersburg or Rockville or Frederick or, or North Potomac or, or uh, Bethesda or whatever your Alney, whatever your city may be, uh, wherever your, your, your location, your address is, that really is not your enduring city. It's not where you're going to be forever. But the Bible says that there is an enduring city that lasts. We're looking for a city that is to come, and that city is going to last forever. 1 Peter 2.11, uh, Peter writes, writes it this way, Dear friends, talking to all of us as Christians, Dear friends, I warn you. Notice that I'm warning you, I'm urging you, I'm asking you to beware, to pay attention, to be on the, uh, keep your mind vigilant about this. I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. Notice that, temporary residents. You're not permanent, you're temporary. Temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Peter says we're in a battle here on earth and you've got to be aware that this is not your final resting place, this is not your home forever. And make sure that you do things, you, you wage a good warfare against those things that are warring against you that would keep you in an earthly mindset and keep you from thinking in a heavenly perspective about eternity. Let me illustrate it this way. Remember, earth is not our home. Your city right now is not your eternal home. You're going to a better place one day, a, an eternal city. Temporary now, permanent then. Think about it this way. Illustrate it this way. Let's say when you go, maybe you're visiting somewhere, you're traveling somewhere, and you check into a hotel. 
When you check into that hotel, you are aware of something, whether you think about it consciously or not, at least certainly unconsciously, you're aware of the fact, I'm only going to be here a day or two, a week or two, whatever your length of stay might be. You realize that you're not going to be in that hotel room forever. It's just going to be a temporary, you know that you have a home somewhere else that you're coming back to. And you realize, I'm here temporarily, and so you never go out and redecorate your hotel room. You don't go out and buy expensive art for your, de- for your hotel room. You don't have the hotel room painted and, and, and fixed up or repaired when something breaks there. You understand it's temporary, and it's not where you're going to stay. You're only there for a short period of time. And what I want you to realize, that's kind of like it is with being here on earth. While we're here, we're here temporarily, sort of like the hotel that we've checked into until we go on to our final home and our eternal home that lasts forever and ever. But there are a lot of people that make this home like their eternal home, and then they sacrifice the rewards of their eternity by investing only in the temporary. Now, there's nothing wrong with investing appropriately in the things of earth to to do things that allow you to have the life that you're supposed to live and raise your family and do those kinds of things that are necessary for living. But to always remember that this is temporary. This is not going to last forever. And I promise you that when you get to heaven, as soon as you are ushered into the presence of God by the angelic host that carries you to heaven, I promise you as soon as you get there, there's going to be something that happens on the inside, if you will, in your spirit and soul that you are in eternity, and there will be the sense of, wow, I am finally at home. You know, anytime I travel and go any place, and I'm sure you have the same experience in your own life, there's nothing like home. When you come back home, you're like, I'm home now. This is wonderful. And it's great to travel. And it's great to go places from time to time. But I always look forward to coming home. There's no place like home. And because there's no place like home, you look forward to being there. When you get to heaven, you're going to say, wow, I'm finally home. And you'll have that sense of relief and recognition about that. Jesus talks about heaven as being a home place. We looked at this passage a couple of weeks ago, and I want to draw your attention back to it again because it has so much to offer us about an understanding of what uh, what home, true home, is going to be like. John 14, verses 1 through 4. Jesus now is about to be crucified. He's going to go to the cross uh, and die for the sins of the world. Ultimately, he will rise from the grave and and ascend back to God the Father. And he's meeting with his disciples to help them in this moment. And he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus said. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Jesus said, hey guys, understand something. I am going to go away, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't get all upset about the fact that I'm going to be leaving earth and going to heaven. Because later on he describes the fact he's going to send the Holy Spirit that will be the comforter and the presence of God with him when he goes back to heaven. But he says, when I go to heaven, this is my task, one of my jobs, one of the things that I will be doing is preparing a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. It will be your home place. I love that for you. It's so personal. As we talked about before, it's a personal place that Jesus Christ is preparing for you. There's a fifth thing I want to talk about just for a few moments here. And the fifth thing that we understand about heaven, according to the Bible, and again, 
There's no way, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. It's never entered the heart of man all the good things God has prepared for those that love him. And so we're just looking at some level of a snapshot of what heaven is all about. But the fifth thing I want you to grasp about heaven according to the Bible is that heaven is a place of real and complete rest. Real rest and complete rest. I think you would probably agree with me. Uh, maybe you can raise your hand if this is true in your own life. How many of you would say that life sometimes is very tiring? Amen? Sometimes life can be very tiring. And what we're able to do here in this life is determined by our endurance levels and by our energy levels. Maybe you've said something like this before. I'd really love to do that, but I just don't have the energy for it. I'd love to be able to go there, but I'm just so tired. I'm just so worn out. And you have a physical body. We have a physical body that has a limitation on it that, uh, that, that we have to actually interrupt our activities to get rest so we can be rejuvenated to continue to go. And so our resting is a part of us reinvigorating uh, so that we can continue our activity. But in heaven, it's going to be very different because in heaven... Rest is not something you get. Rest is something that is. I'll say that again. In heaven, rest is not something that you go and get. I'm going to go get some rest. Heaven is the atmosphere. Rest is the atmosphere of heaven in which you will exist. It will, rest will be a part of your existence. You don't need to get it. You will have it. You will be rested at all times. Think about that. Can you imagine if you were rested at all times? That there was never a time that you felt tired. There was never a time that you felt fatigued. There was never a time you felt weary. I'm not just talking, by the way, about us physically. Obviously, physically, uh, we, we get weary in our bodies. But sometimes we get physically weary, or we get weary, I should say, in our soul. We get psychologically weary. We get spiritually weary. We have this, this, this feeling of fatigue way down on the inside. Some of you will say, you know, I'm tired down to my bones. And what that means is more than just a physical fatigue. But what you need to see is that in heaven, this, there's a place of tremendous, absolute, complete rest. You always exist in the atmosphere of rest. Hebrews 4, verses 9 and 10. Notice what the Scripture says. NIV translation, there remains, that is, there exists There's out there for you. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from His. And so when we step into heaven, we're stepping into a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath atmosphere uh, where God exists and where His rest is a part of our experience. I'm going to ask you to read with me Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, as we talk about this rest a little bit more. Notice what Jesus said. And, of course, he was applying this to the now and the eternal. And so would you read together with me all of our campuses, all the folks in Frederick and uh, universities at Shady Grove, our chapel service here at Gaithersburg. Let's all read together online. Read with me. Come to me. Here we go. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you Rest. Circle that word on your notes. I will give you rest. Read, continuing now, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, circle it again, for your souls. Not just for your body, but also for your souls. And of course, Jesus was talking about a relationship with him. And it's great to know that 
while we're living here on planet earth that we can come to Jesus and we can find rest for our souls in the, in the now and now. We don't have to wait for eternity to experience rest. However, that rest is always being challenged here on earth. There's an ongoing challenging of that rest. When you get to heaven, you will find a lasting absolute rest for your soul and as verse 30 says Jesus said my yoke is easy and my burden is light in the book of Revelation chapter 14 verse 13 again we see into heaven the book of Revelation often will take you into uh, visions of uh, expressions of descriptions of heaven and verse 13 of Revelation 14 we get another picture of this rest that you have in heaven then I John said I heard a voice from heaven and so again this is all happening in heaven I heard a voice from heaven write this blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on yes says the spirit notice this statement they will rest from their labor underline that circle it highlight it memorize it the Bible says that when you die in the Lord the Spirit of God says when you die in the Lord you know Christ as Lord of your life you will rest from your labor for their deeds will follow them you will have an unending supply of energy in heaven because you're going to exist in a rested state and in a rested place so you'll have a rested state in your own being and you will live exist for eternity in a rested place now we want to come to our final point together. The sixth point I want to share with you this weekend about heaven, describing the indescribable, is that heaven is a place of eternal rewards. Heaven is a place of eternal rewards. Depending upon how you've lived your life as a believer, you're going to be rewarded in heaven. How you've lived your life as a believer. Now, you don't get to heaven by doing good or by your works, and I'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. But after coming to know Christ as Lord of your life, you make choices about how you live your life as a Christian. What do you do with your life? How do you invest your life? Do you live in obedience or disobedience to God? Do you uh, invest your treasure, your time, your treasure, your talents in the kingdom of, God, kingdom of God? All these things matter for eternity because you make investments on earth uh, for earth or you make investments on earth for eternity. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. St store your treasures where? In heaven. Say that with me. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. So the emphasis of Jesus here is saying, you know what? Don't spend all of your time and energy in this life investing and in, in pouring into treasures in this life. But store up, rather, make sure you put something in heaven, that you've laid up something there before you get there so that God can reward you with that once you are there. Now, in a moment, I'm going to tell you how to actually store up treasures in heaven because some people will say, I don't even know how to do that. I, I get the treasures part here on earth, but how, how do you store up treasures in heaven? Well, I'll describe that for you in just a moment. But let me now read for you Matthew 25, 20, and 21. We're talking about eternal rewards now. It's the story of the talents, and there are three men in the story. One was given five talents, one was given two, and one was given one. And the master now comes back to check up on how his, uh, how his workers had used what had been given to them and give an account to him regarding that. And notice what happens. The man who had received five bags of gold or five talents brought the other five, so he doubled what, what he had. 
He'd used it well. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Let's come and enter in to the joy of your master. And so there was something of a reward that came to this servant, this steward that had been given something to do while he was, that was invested in him by the master and he did something with it that brought him rewards later on. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Again, laying this foundation about rewards for eternity. If anyone builds on this foundation, that's the foundation of faith Paul was talking about, of preaching the gospel that he shared with the Corinthians. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Let's take a look at this. Now, when you're building your spiritual life, your life here, you can build with different materials. The foundation, obviously, is Jesus Christ. And you're going to build a life on a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what are you going to build? What materials will you use to build your life? Will you use gold and silver and stones, precious stones? Or you can use wood, hay, or straw. And the Bible says that someday, that is that day when you stand before God, what the material that you've used to build your life on, that is either this world or for eternity is going to be shown up on that day and because it's going to be tested with fire. Verse 14, if what has been built survives, the, survives, the builder will receive what? A reward. Notice that. Circle that. The builder will receive a reward. Who's the builder? That's you and me. How we build our lives. Do we build it on the foundation of Jesus Christ in the right way, using the right materials? If we do, then we will receive a reward. If we stand before God and all we've ever done is live for ourselves and, and pour things into our own lives and never think about God or His kingdom or people needing the kingdom of God or the work of His church, then the Bible says that, that, that stuff is just going to burn up. It's not going to have any value in heaven. It's not going to withstand heaven. The other stuff does withstand heaven. And the Bible says in verse 15, if it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. It means, doesn't mean your salvation will be lost. It just means you won't have anything that you've brought with you to heaven or laid up, I should say, before you even got to heaven, even though only is one escaping through the flame. So you'll get in there, if you will. You'll make it into heaven, but again, you'll make it in without having rewards laid up for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Mark 9, 41. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. All of these passages point to eternal rewards. Now you can store up treasure on earth, here on earth, or you can store up treasure in heaven. How do you store up treasures in heaven? Very simply. This is not complex. How do you store up treasures in heaven? You store up treasures in heaven by actually investing in, investing in ministries, Investing in service, investing in the work of the kingdom, investing in the local church, investing in anything that will help people get to heaven 
and that will help people who are going to heaven. And you have to make the investment. When you make the investment, for example, if you invest in the life of, of a local church, then what you're doing is you're providing an atmosphere in which people can come to faith in Christ or believers can be instructed in their walk with Christ. And so you have a reward because you invested in something that has eternal worth. It is worth far more than any kind of investment that you could have in this world. That's why I encourage people to really be investment-minded when it comes to the local church and to its kingdom. Why? Because it matters for people's lives for eternity, and it also lays up rewards in heaven for you. Now, what are we going to be rewarded for in heaven? Let me just quickly uh, describe several things for you, actually four things that you will be rewarded for in heaven, and these are ways that you lay up treasures in heaven. Number one, for everything we have done for Jesus Christ and His church with the right motives. Anything that you've done for Jesus Christ, any investment you've made in the life of the church and the work of Jesus Christ, His church with the right motives, God takes note of that and He says, I will reward you for your investment here, bringing people there. The second thing you will be rewarded for is for helping others to come to know Christ. Anytime you help somebody come to know Jesus, you have a reward in heaven. There's something waiting. Actually, one of the greatest rewards is you'll actually see that person in heaven. That's phenomenal to think about. But anytime you share the gospel with someone and help them find Christ, or anytime you bring someone to church and they meet Jesus, you've made an investment. You took your time and your talents and your treasures, your investment to put into them to help them find Christ. And the Bible says that you will be rewarded for that. The third thing the Bible teaches that we're rewarded for in heaven is for, for relieving pain and suffering in Jesus' name. Every time that you relieve pain or suffering in Jesus' name, if you clothe someone that needs clothes, if you give a cup of cold water in His name, whatever you do to relieve pain and suffering, but if you do it, it's key. You have to do it not just in your name or for your glory or for your humanitarian purposes, but to do it in Jesus' name, there is a reward in that. And the final thing the Bible teaches regarding rewards in heaven is for patiently enduring rejection and persecution for being a Christian. If you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, I mean truly persecuted simply because you're a Christian or doing the right thing, I'm not talking about just doing ridiculous things you, you, that, that, that bring persecution on yourself, but really being a Christian, living out your faith in a godly, loving way, and you're persecuted for it, the Bible says that you will be rewarded in heaven. Now, quick reminder, none of these things that I've just described will get you to heaven. No, they don't get you to heaven. You get to heaven in one way. That's by putting your faith in Christ and the work that He did on the cross. But after coming to know Christ and after He saved you and you've been born again and His Spirit lives inside of you, then God says, now I want you to start building your life around my word, obedience to my word, investing in the kingdom, investing in the church that I have on earth and the work of God in the world, using your time, your treasure, and your talents to build something that outlasts you for eternity. It'll be laid up for you there. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, as we're wrapping up today. The Bible says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. So how do you get saved? It's by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. That is, salvation is always a gift. It's not what you earn. You don't get rewarded by being good and you're, you're saved by that. No, you're saved by one thing, and that's by faith in Christ, not by works. Verse 9 says, so that no one can boast. And then notice verse number 10. Why don't you read this together with me? For we are God's handiwork or God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus 
to do good works. Circle that phrase, underline it, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Having come to salvation through grace and faith in Christ, then we're to get busy doing good works. And it's those good works that are laid up before us. It's the way we store up treasures in heaven. Well, there's a little bit of a glimpse this weekend of what it means to actually have a relationship with Christ and look forward to heaven and to realize that that day is coming for each one of us and we'll stand before God and we can lay up for eternity by the way we live here today. What I want to ask you today is have you made that decision in your life to really open your life to Christ, to make the decision to turn your life over to Him? And if you've done that, have you also made the decision to say, you know what, I'm not just going to live for myself, I'm going to live by laying up treasures for eternity. I'm going to ask everyone, if you will, just to bow your heads, close your eyes with me as we pray this, this, this weekend together, sharing a little bit of a thought of how God wants to work this word into your life today. Let God speak to you as I pray even now. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for your word, for the recognition, the reminder this weekend of what heaven is all about. Lord, we can't see a lot of what heaven is, but Lord, just the little glimpses that we have, it's an indescribable place that we look forward to. And I pray today two things, Heavenly Father. I pray that in Jesus' name, for all of us who are believers in Christ, I pray that you would help us to evaluate our lives, especially as we're wrapping up one year and preparing for a new year. I pray that you'd help us to think clearly about the investments we're going to make, Lord, not just for this life, but most importantly for the life that is to come. Help us to pour into that which lasts for eternity. And Lord, for those that are here this weekend or perhaps have never given their life to Christ, I pray that this would be the weekend they would open their heart to you and receive you as Lord and Savior. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. 
If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.